We're going to look today at the 23rd Psalm. I think it's the most famous psalm in the Bible. For me personally, it was the first passage of Scripture that I ever memorized. The first verse I memorized when I was a kid was John 3.16. Well, maybe not. Maybe it was Jesus wept. That might have been the first one. But John 3.16 was the first verse I memorized, and the first passage was the 23rd Psalm. It's a wonderful passage that uses imagery of shepherds and sheep. I don't know why the Bible uses the image of sheep so often. Maybe it's because they're so soft and cuddly, um, but I don't think so. The prophet Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. It's no secret that sheep are prone to wander, and so are people. And they end up oftentimes in difficulty. Take a look at this little video clip. That video reminds me of some people I know. The 23rd Psalm is often used to bring comfort to people during difficult times in their life. It's probably the most common funeral text that we use. We read it at almost every funeral. Uh, But I want to just tell you something as we start. The 23rd Psalm is not a psalm about valleys. It's a psalm about the shepherd. It's commonly used during valley experiences in our lives. King David wrote this psalm. I think he actually knew a lot about sheep. Um, He he was a shepherd in his early life. And um, many of the great leaders of the Bible were shepherds. The Bible tells us that Abraham was a man who cared for flocks, as well as his descendants, Isaac and Jacob, and all of Jacob's 12 sons, including Joseph, all had shepherding in their background. Genesis 29 tells us that Rachel was a shepherdess. Moses was a shepherd. After fleeing from Egypt, Moses tended the flocks of his father-in-law for more than 40 years. So in his early life, David was a shepherd. We don't know exactly when in his career that he wrote the 23rd Psalm. My guess is he wrote it during one of the many valley experiences of his life. But the fact of the matter, it's not really a psalm about the valley. It's got valleys in it, but it's a psalm about the shepherd. I'm going to want read it through with you today, and then I want to go back and see what it might say about our lives. Um, I want to point out a few things as we go along. Some of you know this psalm by memory. Actually, probably many of you learned it from the, new, or from the King James Version, probably the most poetic version. We're going to read it t- together today from the New King James Version. So let's put it up on the screen. We'll read it together. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
It's a wonderful piece of scripture with rich imagery. You can just get a picture of it in your mind as we say it together. But let's work through it a little bit because I, I want to point out a few things that I find really interesting. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then it says he, what? He makes me. You might want to underline that. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. It's an important phrase. And then it goes on to say, he leads me beside still water. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. <clears throat> Yea, though I walked in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. <clears throat> Literally in Hebrew, this phrase, the valley of the shadow of death, means a deep, dark place. A deep, dark place. It's not exclusively talking about death, although death would certainly be included. <clears throat> the message translation says this, even when the way goes through death valley, so if you think about a shepherd leading his sheep, he's headed for the mountain, he's headed to the fresh green pastures. In order to get there, he's got to take the sheep through some deep, dark places. And these valleys were dangerous places. And so the psalmist writes, even when I'm in a dangerous place, even when I'm on the way to a better place, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I'm the world's strongest sheep? Because I'm the world's smartest sheep? That's almost an oxymoron. There are no smart, smart sheep. <clears throat> why? He says, here's why I will fear nothing. For you are with me. The Lord's with me. And then he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Rod and staff. I, I've, I've got my um, staff here today. I'm on Kurt's staff, but I've got my staff here today. And you probably have seen these before. Here, just come here. Just for a minute, Kurt. <clears throat> this got a hook in it for a reason, and the reason is, I won't hurt him. <clears throat> but you saw that guy using that belt to pull that sheep out of the crevice. That's what this is for. It's to get a hold of a sheep. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Normally, I don't think of rods and staff bringing much comfort. A rod... I don't have one of those today, but a rod was a, was a big straight stick, probably that the shepherd wore on his belt, like a club, maybe like a policeman's billy club. And a rod, you might write this down, is used for guarding and protecting. The shepherd's role is to guard and protect his sheep, and sheep are essentially defenseless animals. They don't have claws, they can't run all that fast, their teeth are not very sharp because they eat grass. They're pretty defenseless, and they're slow and they're pretty dumb, and so the shepherd has got to be the source of protection for his sheep. When predators come, the shepherd's got to help, so he's got a rod, and he would either use it like a club, or most shepherds would throw it like a missile. It would be the way that they would protect their sheep. The staff, different than a club, the staff is used for guiding and directing, guiding and directing. So you can kind of scoot them around with the stick, or you can grab them around the neck with the crook. And it's important that sheep are guided and directed, because sheep have a tendency to wander. So this little crook on, on it, you can, you can poke them with the staff, you can hook them with the crook, and, and you can control them. And then it says in verse 5, Psalm 23, verse 5, you prepare a table, literally, you take me to the table, and actually it might be, some uh, Bible interpreters say 
you take me to Table Rock. Table Rock, that flat top mountain place where the green grass is growing better, the flat place on the top of the hill. He says, you take me, you prepare me a table before me. And it's interesting, I never really figured this out. Where would that table be? In the presence of my enemies. I think I would just assume preferred that the shepherd would pull out his gun and shoot all the enemies or maybe throw that big stick at them. But somehow, if we walk with him, we think we won't have any enemies. But that's actually not what this passage says. This passage says, I'm going to go through some tough places, dark places, valley places, but I'm not going to fear because the Lord's with me and he's keeping my enemies away from me. And he can get me back on track when I wander away because like sheep, I'm prone to wander. If you look back at your life, maybe you can even think of some times that you were wandering off the track and you were prone to wander. And the Lord has the ability to get us back on track. He's protecting us. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I remember a Bible teacher telling me, that the Lord is our shepherd, he's leading us, but goodness and mercy are like his sheepdogs. They're, what's it say here? They're following me. They're coming on behind me. They're moving me along, goodness and mercy. And um, so it's a, it's a very, very famous psalm. Um, oftentimes, these kind of passages of scriptures, I think, I think we know the words more than we know the meaning. Because we haven't really stop to think of the implications of what is God saying here? That's what I want to look at today. What are the implications for you and for I if the Lord is our shepherd? And didn't Jesus say in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd? So what would we expect? What should you expect if you are going to follow the good shepherd? Number one, this might surprise you, expect some frustrations and confusion. It's, it's actually guaranteed when you give your life to Jesus. When you commit yourself to following him, it's going to lead you in some amount of frustration and some amount of confusion. So when you tell Jesus, Jesus, you be my shepherd. I'll be your sheep. I'll follow you. You be my shepherd. Even though he's a good shepherd, the fact of the matter is there's going to be some times in your life that you are totally frustrated and totally confused about what the shepherd is doing in your life. Remember that little phrase we underlined back at the beginning? He what? He, come on, he makes me lie down. Where? He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, green pastures are exactly where the sheep would want to be. I mean, it's what they need. So why does the shepherd have to come along and actually make his sheep to lie down in green pastures? I think we've already dealt generally with the ideas because sheep are stupid. But another reason is that sheep have a pretty strong herd instinct. When a, when a flock of sheep gets going in a direction, it's pretty hard to get them stopped and get them to, to, to pause right where they need to be. If the lead sheep goes past where they need to go, guess what? All the other sheep go right on past where they need to go also. And isn't that a lot like us? When everybody else is doing it, guess what? We want to do it too. How many, how many of you who are parents had to deal with the everybody else is doing it 
situation. <clears throat> Here, here's something you might want to write down. When God is leading in your life, we won't understand everything. We simply can't. You know why we can't? Well, the prophet Isaiah told us this. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So you're not going to be able to figure out what God's doing a lot of the time. Sometimes you just have to be put down, lie down, stop there. In other words, he's God and we're not. He's God and actually we are us. How many of you could say today that you've asked God some pretty serious whys in your life? Why? Why, God? Why did this happen? Why didn't this happen? Why did my husband die? Why were my children born with problems? Why, God? And um, sometimes we get an answer. But to tell you the truth, I don't get an answer as often as I'd like to. Often I don't get any answer at all, it seems like. At least an answer that I like. God often answers us in three ways. He answers yes, no, and not yet. And two out of three, I don't like. I don't know about you. One of the things that are regularly done to get sheep healthy and ready to move on is they got to run them through sheep dip. Ever seen that? Let's show another video. Nasty stuff. Here come the sheep. Ooh. Ooh. Do you think the sheep like that? Let's see if this one likes it any better. Down you go. Aren't they cute? Yeah. See, sheep's got to go through this experience sometimes. Because sheep are loaded with parasites. They got ticks and fleas. And, and I can just tell you, they need it, but they don't like it. It burns their eyes. It burns their nose. And when they're going through it, I'm, I'm sure these sheep are thinking, we're not going to survive. We're not going to make it. This is too much. So the shepherd's really got a couple options. He could say, well, I won't hurt you. I won't bother you. I won't do anything at all that will make you upset. Or he could make you lie down in green pastures. So a couple things that you ought to note. God's no's are never arbitrary. When God says no or not yet, it's never arbitrary. Have you ever, have you ever been to a place in your life where you felt like you were just banging your head up against a brick wall? You got a situation that won't resolve, maybe a difficulty in your family or a problem at work, and often it seems like we come up against a brick wall that's holding us back. 
But did you know this? Sometimes brick walls are protecting you. That very thing that you think is holding you back is actually God making you lie down in green pastures. Because we're a lot like sheep. We've got such a strong herd instinct. And because someone else went there, we want to go there. Because someone else bought that new toy, we want to have that new toy. Here's what you need to recognize. Never compromise to get around a no or a not yet. When you run into a frustrating situation, when God's saying no or when God's saying not yet, when everyone else, when everyone else seems to be doing it, everyone else seems to be moving on, and it just seems to you like God's sitting on you, holding you down. He's got you by the scruff of the neck. He's holding you down. Did you see how those sheep, when they dove in, they didn't automatically just, you know, wasn't like they took a shower to rinse off. That shepherd took his staff, and what did he do? He dunked them under. He pushed them down. And sometimes it feels like that's what God's doing to us. He's pushing us down. He's causing more problems for us than what we really wanted. <clears throat> so it's possible for us to not take no for an answer and just try to do it on our own. But when I do it, when I try to do things on my own, when I don't take no for an answer or when I, when I don't take a not yet for an answer, in the end, I almost always wish that I'd have done it God's way. I almost always end up with results that I don't like. I don't know how many times in being a pastor I've had people tell me, I knew better, but I lied. I knew better, but I lowered my standard on something. I knew better, but I took an action that I wish I wouldn't have taken. And actually, sometimes for a little time, it seems like we're going to get to where we want to go. But virtually every time, it has bad consequences. The greener grass that we were headed to actually was a mirage. It was just painted concrete. It wasn't the real thing. So never lie. Never lower your standards. Never do something that you know is wrong. When you find yourself in a place where you're considering doing something like that, just think of it as God sitting on you. He's He's preventing you. That brick wall that you've come up against, he's protecting you. And he's making you lie down in the place that you might not want to be, but that you need to be. Number two, expect to be led gently. He leads me beside still waters. Some translations say quiet waters. You may not know this, but King David knew that sheep are incredibly skittish around running water. They panic when they think they might be going to fall in. In fact, they're so skittish that even at times that they're dying of thirst, they will not go near a raging water. So the shepherd takes them to a place where the water's calm. The shepherd takes into account that his sheep have weaknesses. His sheep have limitations. The shepherd knows that. So he takes them to quiet waters, to still waters. Jesus was fully aware that people would come to him who had real problems in life, real issues that they're dealing with. That's why he said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. <clears throat> See, Jesus is not going to put a yoke on you that you can't handle. 
I mean, Jesus is not expecting to take you to Silver Falls to get a drink of water. He, he, he's not going to take you to a danger place. He's going to take you to the still waters. He's going to take into account that you need help, that you've got problems. He knows that you've got challenges. He knows that you've experienced tragedies. He's aware that you've made some bad decisions along the way. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul tells us this. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Everybody's got problems. Everybody's got temptations. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, when you are tempted, did you get that? But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Friends, you don't have to be perfect as a Christian. In fact, there's no such thing as a perfect Christian. You're not perfect. You're just a work in progress. I don't always like it when God makes me lie down. But I do love it when he leads me gently by still waters. He leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. I like that part. Which means, number three, I can expect a blessing, not a beating. He restores my soul. A lot of people got some really strange ideas about God. Maybe it comes from the way that you were raised when you were growing up as a child in the house you were in. I think some of us have negative ideas about God because we have negative ideas about our own earthly father. Maybe you grew up in a home where you never heard the words, I love you, from your father. I'm blessed to have grown up in a home with a great father. He was not a mushy kind of father, but he was the kind of father I knew he loved me, I knew he cared about me. But a lot of us, I think, grew up where that was missing, and so we have a negative idea about God. Maybe you grew up in a home where um, mom was always saying, you just wait till dad gets home. Or maybe your dad was an angry dad or an abusive dad or an alcoholic dad. Maybe he was just some sort of self-centered pig who hit the ceiling every time he got mad. But listen, friends, I want to tell you something. God's not like that at all. Not like it at all. See, some of you think that God's looking for a reason to punish you. Some of you are actually thinking, maybe you wouldn't admit this, but you're thinking that God's looking for a way to keep you out. But nothing could be further than the truth. Listen, you already were out. God doesn't need to look for a way to keep you out. You already were out. God's looking for a way to get you in. That's what the cross is all about. That was the payment that he made to get you in. 1 Samuel 14, 14 says this. I love this verse. But God does not take away life. Instead, he devises ways so that a bandaged person may not remain estranged from him. People that are banished, people that are under the sentence of death, people that are away from God, that have no hope, no reason to expect anything. God's thinking up ways to get you back. He wants you back. God is strategizing. God is planning. He's working on ways to draw you back to himself. God loves you. He doesn't want to punish you. It might be the most profound thing that you could ever understand about God. 
God doesn't want to punish you. God loves you. So here's the next point. God is in the restoration business. Judgment is always a last resort. He says in Ezekiel 18, verse 23, Do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? The answer is no! Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? God says, it doesn't make me happy to punish bad people. Now, to be honest, friends, it kind of makes me happy when bad people are punished. When I watch the news, it seems like so many people get away with stuff. And when bad people finally get caught and are punished, I'm thinking, yes. But God doesn't think that way. What God wants to do is to see people restored. Ezekiel 18, verse 32. For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. So repent and live. God doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. He takes pleasure in blessing people and restoring people. God wants to see people made right with him. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. God is a good God. He promises to guide us. We're not just left on our own. God says, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to give you my guidance. In fact, listen, if you've never felt guided by God, see, there's probably a problem in your life. Maybe the reason you have never felt guided by God is you've never asked him to be your shepherd. Because one of the proofs, one of the evidences of of a relationship with God is that you're in his family. Look at this next verse, Romans 8, 14. Only those people who are led by God's spirit are God's children. So, if you're not God's children, you can't really expect that he's going to be leading you or guiding you. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh, let me read this again. Only those people who are led by God's Spirit are God's children. So it's absolutely, vitally important that you learn what we're talking about this weekend. How do I get guidance by God? How do I be led by the Spirit? Well, here it is. You might want to circle this verse. Only those people who are led by God's Spirit, circle that, led by God's Spirit, are God's children. Point number four. I can expect to be led clearly. Jesus leads like a shepherd, not from the back of the flock trying to drive everyone. <clears throat> the way Jesus leads his flock, and the way that, that shepherds led their flock in the Old Testament, they get out in front of them. The sheep follow the shepherd. Remember when Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and they follow me? Well, he gets out in front of the sheep. And it says <clears throat> that Jesus called us to follow me. One of the things I think that's interesting in this passage, I think modern-day Bible teachers might teach it differently. It says he guides me in paths of, I would have thought I would have written his will. He guides me in paths of his will. But that's not what it says. It says he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Friends of Christ, if you want to know God's will... It's easy to find. Just obey what you already know. So many people tell me, I just don't know what God's will for my life is. Well, just start obeying the part that you do know. That's the way to the path of righteousness. Just obey what you do know. 
I think we stress out far too much when it comes to finding God's will. I just am trying to find God's will for my life. No, just start obeying what you do know. Proverbs 4.18 says this, the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Did you get this picture of the path of the righteous? It's like sun coming up. It just gets brighter and brighter. You start following God, you start trusting God, you start obeying Him, it gets brighter and brighter. It's like the sun coming up in the morning. Proverbs 3, 5 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. What's the rest of it? And He what? He'll make your path straight. Trust in the Lord when it doesn't make sense. I mean, you're thinking in your own mind, I'm going to go this way. God says, no, go that way. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. In other words, do it His way. You want to travel down straight paths, then do it His way. Instead of wandering all over the place, trying to find your way, follow God. You'll get to where you need to go. And ask the band if they'll come back. So let me just give you some little conditions. When God and I disagree, and occasionally we do, remember that He's God and trust in Him. Don't, don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him. Do it His way. He'll make your path straight. Last thing. Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table <clears throat> before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I am going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here's what you can expect. Expect every valley to eventually lead to a mountaintop. If we're following the shepherd, every valley eventually leads to a mountaintop. But i got to have real confidence that the shepherd knows where he's taking me. And the shepherd has a rod to drive away my enemies, and the shepherd has a staff to pull me back when I get headed in the wrong direction. The shepherd is taking me to the mountaintop. When we get there, the table's already set. And when we get there, we're going to find a cup that overflows, where goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life. That's why when we're going through the stuff we're going through, when we've come up against a challenging spot in our life, we've got to remember what Paul told the Romans. And we know, say that with me, and we know. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know that. We know that God is using all things. Even that brick wall that we're up against that's so frustrating to us. Even the confusing situations that we find ourselves in. God's using that for our good. Are you going through a deep valley? Then follow the shepherd. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't try to figure it out all on your own. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Do it his way. And if you do, you'll get to where you need to go. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've given us these passages of Scripture to help us 
see who you are and what you really want for us in our lives. I pray that we would receive your care and correction. Maybe today, as we've been talking, you realize that that brick wall that you came up against that's been so frustrating to you, it might have been God. He might have been just sitting on you, holding you down. Just tell Him in your own words as we sing these songs together, as we pray. Tell Him in your own words. Thank you, God, that you're a good shepherd. Thank you that you've been watching over my life. Thank you that your rod and your staff, you've been using them to bring comfort and joy and peace for me. And I look forward to the day at, the, at Table Rock that we have a banquet together. And my cup's going to be full, overflowing, 